Welcome to Mary's Cup of Tea, the self-love podcast for women. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski, an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that will inspire you to love yourself. Hello, self-lover. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure you know about my two books on self-love. If you're struggling with body image or self-acceptance, then I highly recommend you check out my first book, The Gift of Self-Love. It's a comprehensive workbook to help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to love who you are. Thousands of people have this book and the five-star reviews are so amazing. They give me so much life. So I hope that this is something that can help you too. You can get it wherever books are sold by searching for The Gift of Self-Love or go to my website, maryscupoftea.com slash book. After releasing The Gift of Self-Love and reading all your positive feedback, I realized that we really needed something to keep us going every single day. So not a deep dive workbook, but maybe like a micro dose of self-love in your daily life, which is why I wrote 100 Days of Self-Love. It's a guided journal with, you guessed it, 100 prompts that cover so many areas of life, including body, identity, purpose, emotions, mindset, relationships, and more. So you can really think of it as a metaphorical multivitamin, something to keep you going, or as I like to say, growing on your self-love journey. You can get this journal wherever books are sold as well by searching for 100 Days of Self-Love or go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal. It's my mission to share all the self-love tea with you, so I hope that both my books and this podcast can do just that. One thing I've never talked about publicly before is how I grew up deeply entrenched in religion. Not with my primary caregiver, my mom, but whenever I would go over to my dad's house during the summers, holidays, long weekends, our agenda revolved around church on Sundays and prayer groups every other night of the week. With that, I heard a lot of really scary, traditionalist, patriarchal messaging about a woman's role in this world, how girls should behave to grow into this perfect Christian woman. Purity culture was a big theme. Creation theory, what is that called? Like how God created the entire universe and completely rejecting any scientific theories about evolution and biology and all that. So there's a lot there that I'm still digesting and unpacking because it was like such a fragmented part of my life intermittently spread out with my mom, who was not really religious, more so spiritual, very healthy in that way, always let me question things, form my own beliefs. But then I would go to my dad's side and it would be the complete opposite situation. So on my podcast brainstorming board, I have had the topic of religious trauma healing on my radar for years. It's also really interconnected with how we perceive our body image and how we treat our bodies, feel about our bodies, you know, in their naked and natural form, what it means to be a woman in this world. And I think all those themes are so related. I've been really wanting to cover this topic I didn't feel like I was versed enough to talk about it on my own, so I've been looking for the perfect guest. And today, Morgan Tyler Haley is here on the show because she has had such 
an amplified experience of religious trauma and leaving evangelical Christianity, coming out as gay, dealing with the repercussions from family and the community, and growing up, finding her own identity, and learning to heal the past and see it for what it was. So if you can relate to any of that, if you were maybe raised in a restrictive religious environment with a lot of dogma, then this episode is for you. And I guess the bigger picture here is how do we unsubscribe from beliefs that no longer serve us and discover our own identity? Morgan at Finding Morgan Tyler on Instagram is a queer fitness and yoga instructor whose goal is to bring you approachable workouts that you feel confident doing from the comfort of your own home. So this whole time she's like running a business and teaching people how to be mobile and active in a very accessible way. And she speaks openly about leaving religious dogma, discovering her sexuality, and healing from shame through movement. You can find the links to her app as well as her programs in the description or in the link in her Instagram bio. I think you're going to really connect and love Morgan as much as I do just from hearing this one conversation. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hey, Morgan. So we were talking before we started recording, and I was going to ask you, but I wanted this to get recorded for our listeners. Tell me why your Instagram handle is at Finding Morgan Tyler. I have an Ooh. idea. Is there anything that you can say about feeling lost, confused? Are you like finding yourself? Like, I want to know the, the intention behind that. So, Finding Morgan Tyler came about kind of like a pivotal moment in my life around, gosh, five, six years ago. And previously, I was the Southern Yogi for a really long time. That's kind of what built my Instagram page. I was solely doing yoga, promoting yoga. And I think at some point, I just started to feel like very boxed in (laughs) with that name. I was like, people only knew me for one thing. And I felt like I had so much more depth to offer just as a human. So finding Morgan Tyler just felt like an expansion and also like a limitless name for myself. I was like, there's so much that I'm going to be finding out about myself for the rest of my life. And it just kind of felt like it encapsulated me as an ever-changing, growing, evolving human. I was like, there is no end to this name or handle for Instagram. There is no like box. It's just, I am Morgan and I'm forever going to be like finding myself and like exploring those different parts of myself. So that's kind of how that came about. What was that like to transition from the Southern Yogi? I feel like the brand perspective gives insight to where you were at as a person, because I guess the only difference between like me and you changing our Instagram handle and our Instagram bio and anybody else without a social media account transitioning and other types of their life. The only difference is that we're just kind of doing it publicly. Right. It was honestly like, (laughs) this is going to sound weird for people that, you know, like maybe this isn't their full-time job. But for me, it was a little bit of like a grieving period for a second because I was like, I felt like this whole season of my life and also what people had known me as and how I had kind of like grown online, I was almost like shedding that layer and moving on to something different. And I knew it was going to be like 
so beautiful and awesome and with so many new opportunities. But I did know in some sense that I was kind of like leaving a part of me behind because this was also, and I'm sure we'll like dive into this more, but this was also at a turning point in my life where I was discovering my sexuality and starting to deconstruct a lot of like belief systems that I had been a part of for my entire life. And so there was kind of a, a bit of like grief and sadness and like that is a past season and I'm moving on to a new season and it's like excitement and nervousness and grief and all these emotions kind of like bundled into one that I don't think, you know, people just viewing your page on Instagram and your little squares, they don't understand maybe all of the emotions that go into what just looks like a change in your name online actually holds so much more weight to the person (laughs) behind that screen. Oh, for sure. When I was going from Mary Sky Fitness to Mary's Cup of Tea, (laughs) it was definitely scary. It took me years to like really lean into that because like you said, it's just shedding so many layers of who you thought you once were and it's all public. And even if, you know, it doesn't matter how big or small your following is, even if it's just your family and friends, it's scary as shit. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know, you're kind of opening up like a new part of yourself to so many people. And you're like, at the end of the day, we all kind of crave validation in some sense. And you're just like, you know, are people going to resonate with this new side of me or this new season of life? It's scary, but it's exciting. Yeah. Well, let's dive into that. Like, What was that old season of your life? What was the Southern Yogi about? Was it impacted by your upbringing? And then give us like a little timeline of breaking free and finding Morgan Tyler. Wow. Okay. So we have like a week of time to do this. <laughs> so let's we, see. I know we'll run out of <laughs> we'll run out of time before we run out of talking points. Yeah. But we got a full hour. So just unload it on us because let me tell you and our listeners this before you go into it. My husband asked me today, like, who's on the podcast? And I'm like, oh, I'm talking about religious trauma healing, something that has been like on my podcast ideas board for years and years and years and years. I just haven't found somebody that I felt like I could connect with and really talk about that. And why was it on my podcast ideas board? I don't think anybody knows this about me. I've never talked about this ever online, but I grew up in a very culty religious situation on my dad's side. And the reason why I don't talk about it is because my mom was my full-time caregiver, but summers, holidays, once a month on a long weekend, I was there and I was like in the church getting blessed by creepy priests and Mm. et cetera. Mm. So I won't go into that. I want to hear your story more, but this is just going to hit so close to home for me and I'm sure a lot of people. Well, I'm really happy to be here and chat about it because I do think so many people kind of feel isolated when talking about this. And it's like so important. So gosh, I would say like 10 years ago, 2013 was kind of when I started dipping my toe into yoga. I was working at Starbucks. I was a barista. And in my free time, I was just like figuring out yoga, found out I really loved it, started posting progress photos online. And I kind of feel like it was like that that golden era of Instagram where things were just like accounts were growing and like there was this whole kind of like, you know, fitspo movement where like everyone was doing challenges and like I got sucked right into that. And honestly, it was so refreshing 
for me anyways, to kind of explore yoga in a sense of I'd only known evangelical Christianity my entire life. And so I lived in this bubble, this echo chamber, where I was surrounded by people that believed the same things as me. I was taught what to believe. I didn't really have a choice. And so when I was old enough to kind of be out of from under my parents' roof and start exploring, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. Yoga was one of those things. And I got a lot of backlash at first because close friends and most of my friends at that time were also all evangelical Christians were like, (laughs) I guess they use the word pagan. They're like, this is a pagan thing for you to be doing. Like, this is not aligned with Christianity. And that kind of almost inspired me even more to dive headfirst. You know, when someone's telling you like not to do something, you're like, well, actually, (laughs) now I want to know even more about it. So I think learning like the origins and the roots of yoga was the first time I'd been exposed to any other sort of like belief system, any other culture. And there was actually a lot of resistance inside of me at first. I remember going through my first yoga teacher training in 2016. And I felt this sense of like self-righteousness that had been instilled in me that no, Christianity was the right way and what you are learning right now is wrong. So within this yoga teacher training, you need to be evangelizing to all your other classmates. It's just this sense of self-righteousness that's instilled in you when you grow up the way that I did, that everyone else is wrong and you are right and almost a sense of self-pity like, oh, poor you. (laughs) You don't know the truth in the way. And I'm here to fill you in on that. But after that teacher training, I realized I was like, you know what? (laughs) This whole way of thinking and this attitude of closed-mindedness is not valuable for me as a teacher. It's actually pushing people away from me, students away from me that I would want in my class. And I really, really attribute that first 200-hour teacher training to kind of expanding my mind. That was really the first time that my own beliefs that I held were very challenged. And how I navigated through that was just a pivotal moment for me. And I think after that, one thing led into another. It was a snowball effect. I went right into my divorce. (laughs) I realized at that time, there had been so many things that I had chosen. Getting married at a very young age, newly 2021 was one of them. And I did all of that because I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. That's kind of like the the path you follow when you're raised in that very conservative environment. You get married young, you have kids, you're a wife. And I started realizing I had just chosen to do all of these things because it was someone else's idea of what my life was supposed to look like. So in summer 2016... Months after I graduated my yoga teacher training, I was like, I'm not happy. Like, I'm not happy. And I deserve to be happy. And my entire life, I've been raised learning that, like, we couldn't even say the word divorce. It was like a bad word. Like, my parents literally called it the D word, (laughs) divorce. It's not spoken about. It's not talked about. And I was so terrified. Like, so terrified to get a divorce. I literally thought it was going to be the end of the world. And I had so many people telling me, this is where kind of like, I think like the fear factor part of really strong evangelical, like Christianity 
hit home for me. I feel like I would have left my marriage so much earlier if I didn't have people being like, your life's never going to be the same. You're ruining your life. You're going to be living in sin. The church is going to leave you. Basically, like people are threatening to not be your friend anymore, not be in your life anymore because you're making this decision. And it's terrifying. And when those are the only people that you have around you, like they've built this system in such a good way that you do leave feeling very isolated. And there's a reason for that. It's because you are raised in this bubble so that when you do leave, they make it very, very hard because all of a sudden you feel like you're starting over. And I did. When I got that divorce in 2016 and left my marriage, I very much felt like I lost a ton of my friends. I lost a lot of the support from my parents. They thought I was making a terrible decision. And in a way that's kind of like built me, I feel like, to who I am today. I really sat there and realized like, wow, all of these people that preach unconditional love, unconditional support, all the things are actually not here for me at my lowest point in life. In fact, they're judging me for the choices I'm making and then kind of just going about the rest of their life. And I'm out here just figuring it out by myself. So that was the last 10 years in a little nutshell. And after I got a divorce, so much expansion from there, like so much more expansion. That was just kind of, I think, what pulled the rug out from under everything. And just like, I really, really started discovering like, who is Morgan outside of a relationship, outside of religion, outside of what my parents believe, outside of what I think people want me to be as a human. And that was really the first step that I took for myself that no one else wanted me to do. That was completely of my own accord. That really kind of led me to where I am today. Mm. And I want to know more about how it's evolved and how you've bloomed since 2016. But just to underline a couple things, I think people underestimate what an effect social shunning or like being kicked out of the tribe can have. It's frightening. It's traumatizing. It's definitely something that will keep you in the status quo for as long as possible until you physically like can't take it anymore. So I'm curious to know who was the antidote to that? Like who supported you through the divorce? Was it, were you literally all alone or like, was there anybody that you could lean on in the yoga community on the internet? So it's both. There's like so many, I feel like truths that exist for me during that time. I lost a bunch of friends up front and it's funny because like you fast forward to now and I've actually reconnected with some of those people who have like come back into my life, which has been very like healing and special. But a lot of them I did leave in the past and there are also and also there were friends that did stand by me and they're still my friends to this day. I mean, I have one friend specifically his name's Alex, and he literally moved me into his house after I got a divorce. And he was just there for me. I mean, he saw me at my lowest. And I don't think he'll ever know like how much that meant to me during that time. There's not really words that you can adequately express to someone when you're at that point in your life and they just take you in and no expectations. And they're like, just just be, just exist, like you're safe. 
And that meant so much to me because at that time, he really was along with like two other girlfriends. They were the three that just like continued to show up and show up and like, hey, are you eating? (laughs) Are you like getting outside? Are you, what do you need today? And that meant the world to me along with the, gosh, the community on the internet. Like I cannot say enough. My community, I feel so, so lucky because they have just been through so much with me. And I don't know if you feel that way just being online for so long, but you think about the seasons of life people have seen you in and you're like, oh my goodness, like I look back 10 years ago and I'm like, I feel like I've lived 500 lifetimes since then. And all of your, you know, the people that follow you, watch you and are also growing with you in their own way. And it's just, it's so cool to think about. And I realized the more I started sharing what I was going through, like I've been vocal about every season of my life online. I was very vocal when I was going through my divorce. Like, I think for me, part of processing it was sharing it online. It was very healing for me. And it also allowed people, you know, space to share their stories. And, you know, I'm not going through this alone because sometimes when you're just like in the trenches, it feels like, gosh, no other person in this entire earth is going through this. And that's just not true. Like we can always kind of resonate on a human to human experience of like what other people are going through. And I really do think the online like Instagram community absolutely had a hand in pulling me through that time. I mean, I was still teaching at that time. They were signing up for my workshops like that community face-to-face interaction at that time in my life was crucial. I needed that like human interaction, being around people that just were so supportive of me. Like, I mean, gosh, (laughs) I can't thank them enough for that. That meant everything to me and really pulled me through that time. And I'm sure they know that and feel that way about you tenfold. I hope so. (laughs) I think so. I feel like we're on the same wavelength there. (laughs) Yeah. I think you mentioned, correct me if I'm wrong, that your divorce was a tipping point. Would you say that Mm -hmm. getting divorced from the person is what eventually led you to divorce the church? And I'm assuming that that was probably more difficult, but correct any of that, please. So I was still married when I started struggling with my beliefs. And I actually think I struggled with my beliefs long before I got a divorce. I do think my divorce was kind of the nail in the coffin. That was like, wow, no one is supporting me through this. That was kind of like my second foot out the door of leaving the church. But as far as like questioning my beliefs, I think that that happened years before I got a divorce. And I feel like when you grow up, and you're indoctrinated into any belief system. I think about this all the time. I'm like, how strong does that make you of a believer when you're just believing something because you're told it versus believing something because you chose it? And I find the people that hold a belief system that actually have very intentional, strong beliefs are the people that chose to believe that of their own accord. And for me, I think I always questioned my beliefs a little bit because they were never mine. I was like, I'm doing this to please mom and dad. (laughs) I'm doing this because I literally was told that I have to believe this or these are the consequences. And the older I got, I was just like, 
why am I believing these things for someone else, especially moving out of the house? I'm like, I'm not living with my parents anymore. So like, what do I actually believe? Those questions and those feelings I had surrounding evangelical Christianity only were confirmed once I decided to leave my marriage. Mm -hmm. And we both grew up in the church, very, very involved. And I think I was just astounded at the response when I told everyone I was getting divorced. And that was that was it for me. I was like, wow, if this is what this belief system is, and this is how it looks to treat others when they're at their lowest point in life and going through a hard time, then I want nothing to do with that. I don't want to be related to it. I don't want to be involved in it. Like I want nothing to do with it because I cannot imagine watching someone go through that and being like, well, (laughs) that's your own fault, (laughs) you know, or well, you could have done X, Y, and Z to be a better wife. Like the shame, the guilt, and the judgment that gets cast, that is what kind of pushed me out of the door initially. And then I think the more I thought about it after, once I kind of got past that like angry, like I'm leaving because I'm sick of this phase and I like got through my anger, I really started digging deeper and questioning okay, well, did you actually ever believe in that stuff? And would you believe in that stuff again if going through that divorce didn't happen? I had a lot of people ask me, you know, oh, well, you just, did you just leave because of a bad experience? And a lot of people use like, oh, well, you just had a bad experience. (laughs) And I'm like, that's true. And also, I just don't believe in it anymore. I was like, yes, I had a bad experience. And even if that never happened, I still would have gotten to a point. I think it would have probably been later because that divorce was the tipping point. I think it pushed me up probably a little earlier than I would have. But I think eventually I was already questioning my beliefs so much. I would have gotten to the point where I was just like, you know, it's just not for me. And I'll never say never, but I'm not sure if I'll ever subscribe to a belief system again. I find a lot of beauty in many different aspects of people's beliefs, but just from what I've seen, people that dive full in and are very, very extreme in their beliefs can't seem to hold like an open mind when talking to other people about their beliefs. And now we're living in a time when people's beliefs are infringing on human rights and There's just like so much to unpack there. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be so beautiful if like more people could have these conversations and appreciate the nuance and the perspective and the lived experiences that goes in, whether you're talking about evangelical Christianity or any religion or any belief system, like there's so many nuances there and so many different perspectives. And I feel like there's not really a lot of safe places to talk about that. And I wish there was more. About three years ago, I started putting together a playlist with uplifting, inspiring, and empowering songs. I originally did this for myself because I love music of all different genres, and every time I would notice a song that just made me feel good, I would add it to my self-love playlist. And now there are over 300 songs on my Spotify self-love playlist, and these tracks are perfect for when you're getting ready, trying to hype yourself up, or going through a struggle and need a reminder for how badass you are. 
If you love music as much as I do, then go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist to get the Spotify link. It will ask you for your email so that I can send you this self-love playlist. And full transparency, this will also put you on my email list where I send out a monthly newsletter about stuff I'm thinking about, personal things, things I don't really share on social media, and all the happenings in the Mary's Cup of Tea world. So go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist and let's start jamming to my self-love playlist together. The bad experience comment, you just unlocked something because I used to get that a lot when it came to when I was talking about my bad experience in bodybuilding and with diet culture and an eating disorder and just like the gym in general and the Mm -hmm. people that used to hang out there and what I felt like there. And what's interesting to me as you were talking, I'm like, yes, you had a bad experience. I had a bad experience. And that is reason enough. Mm -hmm. Full stop. You had a bad experience and then you leave a situation, you exit that bad experience just because there's an anomaly of 1% of, you know, speaking in first person, bodybuilders who do it to prove to themselves that they can handle a challenge and they have their mind right and feel really healthy mentally, physically, spiritually. And then they get up on stage and it's this big accomplishment and they never get too sucked in and they never develop an eating disorder doesn't mean that we need to keep like pushing ourselves to create that one in a million experience where you're like enlightened and better than thou. That just boils my blood. When you said that you unlocked something in me, because I'm like, why has this always like never resonated with me? (laughs) Yes. Like the exception is not the majority. And I feel like people forget that. The exception's not the majority. And when you bring stuff up like that, that triggers something in someone, they're always going to bring up the exception and be like, but, but, but. <laughs> and like you said, it's it's never just a full stop and it needs to be. Yeah. And it's that that's the epitome. It translates to so many, so many other areas. That's the epitome of, quote, not all men. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to like watch my back when I'm walking alone yes. at night and be like terrified <laughs> of my life and that we have to do something about this, you know, like <laughs> yep. that is very valid. If you had one bad experience, it's absolutely valid for you to remove yourself from that experience. Yes. It reminds me, I don't know if you ever saw this. It was like years ago going around because the not all men thing is so valid. And this girl on TikTok did the basically a riff off of it, but like not all sharks. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that, but she's basically talking about yeah, yeah I swimming saw in the ocean. And if you get bit mm-hmm. by a shark, you're not going to be like, well, not all sharks. Like, no, you had a really terrible experience. And that is that. Yes. Right. And that doesn't mean we're all going to go deep diving into the ocean right. <laughs> just to gamble with life. <laughs> so funny. I also find it fascinating how when you said 2016, that was also a very pivotal year for me, too. Oh. So I think it's really cool how we were kind of that. Uh, getting out of our own cults. Yep. One last thing on maybe not the last thing. <laughs> One more thing <laughs> on some of those beliefs that you were referring to. Do you have any examples of some beliefs that were very strictly held in your household and projected onto you that you just no longer agree with, that you changed your mind about? Or I guess what I would like to get at is like, what are some red flags in terms of what these beliefs are as related to evangelical Christianity and also what red flags there are for like, people getting too deep into other 
communities that might not be supportive for them. Mm. Loaded question, but the shorter version. (laughs) I love it. So for me personally, there's so many. I mean, I think the biggest one just being purity culture and that your value as a woman is found in how pure you can keep yourself for your husband. And that's a huge red flag. But I don't think that it is marketed the same way as it was back then. And it's a lot more sneaky now. So I still like to talk about it because no, it's not as in your face as it was back in like, you know, the 90s and the 2000s when like purity culture in evangelical Christianity was popping off. But in the same way as conversion therapy is not marketed the same, these structures are still very much in place in modern day evangelical Christianity, but they're just not as in your face. They're a lot more subtle. So for me growing up, being told like I I had to go through the whole courtship thing, you know, like dating was not a thing. My parents picked out my first boyfriend for me. He was someone that lived in our neighborhood that we were both homeschooled, kind of grew up the same. And they actually talked to him first without even me being a part of it, asked if he would like to court me and then came and told me he was my suitor. And like, it's like, you know, you don't even have any autonomy (laughs) over your life, your body. It's just like things are being chosen for you. That's been a huge one to unpack for me because it really does impact everything that you think about yourself. I mean, I think back to when I was that age and if I hadn't been ingrained in all of that, I'm like, how soon would I have discovered my sexuality? But instead, I'm being forced into this compulsive, heteronormative lifestyle. And that's all that I knew. And so again, I was just taking these steps, just following the path that I thought I was supposed to be on. And so yeah, that whole idea of purity culture and women saving themselves and, you know, (laughs) saving their bodies until marriage is just something that I think I will be kind of untangling that web for like my entire life. I've been in extensive therapy for it. And that was like, that was really, really hard. I don't think I realized the impacts of how damaging it was until I got into a healthy relationship. And I was like, Mm -hmm. holy cow, Like this has impacted me more than I ever, ever would have dreamt of. Funny how no boys are wearing purity rings and saving themselves for their wives. No, of course not. (laughs) The the made-up concept of virginity, too, that goes so deep into that. That must have been, I can't imagine. Like I told you, I was very Christian on with my dad. Mm -hmm. And we would go, it was like church prayer groups every single day. Like that's not an exaggeration. This is every single day. And that pity that you talked about at the beginning where you would have like all these people praying for you because you're a sinner and your mother's sinful because she left and like whatever, whatever. And so I just have these like vivid recollections of lots of old men's hands on my head and on my body trying to like cleanse me. And and I had this like pseudo baptism and like whatever, whatever. And I don't think I understood like how deep I was in that until 
my mom when I was an adult, the words she used to describe me coming back from an extended stay at my dad's was, you were like a zombie and like robotically repeating, like regurgitating the most random, out of context things about Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Mm. I mean, it gives me full body chills. I can deeply resonate with the hands on your body, which is just such, and most of the time it's by men. Like, and it's such an invasion. Always. Yes, always of like physical space. Like you feel violated. And I remember feeling absolutely nuts. If I was having a bad day, you know, it was always like, oh, the devil, Satan has gotten a hold of you. His demons are inside of you. And like literally hands placed on my head and my parents praying for like these demons to come out of me. And I'm sitting here thinking I'm legitimately like something is wrong with me and grew up thinking it wasn't okay to have anxiety or have feelings or have emotions because I was allowing the devil to take a hold of my life. And I was not staying on that straight and narrow path because if you were a believer enough, if you were following Jesus enough, if you were reading your Bible enough, praying enough, then none of these things would be happening. And there's just so much trauma that gets built up when you experience that over and over and over again. And then you're just flung out into the real world and you're like trying to sort all this mess out in your head. That's something I've never heard anybody talk about how it's inherently invalidating of any feelings and any like human experience. Yes. Like you said, just having a bad day, suddenly it's the devil. Yes. And like you're not allowed to feel an ounce of emotion because, yeah, you're right. Even when like I get stuff on TikTok or Reels, like, you know, how, how the Christian bloggers have a <laughs> oh, community gosh. of their own. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes, right, they go viral and they <laughs> pop up and even like just seeing their little caption over their reel. It's very much that language mm -hmm. of like, God is everything and anything outside of that is immoral, sinful, wrong. Yes. It's all fear-based. It's all fear-based. Another thing I've thought about since coming out of this is I'm like, why would we want to do anything out of fear or for an incentive? Like, To me, it makes sense that you would want to be a good, decent human and just exist in this world and honor other humans without any incentive of a reward or any need to scare someone into it. It just boggles me. And like the whole root of evangelical Christianity is extremely fear-based. Everything that you do or say, the pushback or the comeback is always laced with fear and shame and guilt over and over and over again. I took a health philosophy class in college and I it was like the best class I ever took because aside from the health related aspects, I mean, we studied like physician assisted suicide, like abortion, like the ethical dilemmas around big medical questions. Like should alcoholics have the same access to a liver transplant mm. as non-alcoholics? Should they be like on that wait list? Anyway, we had to, you know, do debates, write papers and everything. But of course, in that class, you review like the basics of philosophy. And I remember one of the basics of determining whether something is moral or not is about 
like not the intention, there was another word for it, but like your your motivation, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I remember the number one thing I took away from that is if you're doing something because you're afraid of the consequences of not doing it or not adhering or being seen as somebody who didn't do it, then you're not actually a moral person because you didn't do it for moral reasons. Mm-hmm. You did it for consequentialist reasons mm-hmm. out of fear base, like you said. And I think that definitely extends to diet culture too and like fat phobia, oh, like the fear and hatred absolutely. of bigger bodies. If you're, yeah, if you're trying to make your, yourself smaller and you know deep down inside it's motivated by a fear of not being thin, then like, are you really doing anything good for yourself, your body, and like mm-hmm. the collective as a whole? Yes. Yes. I mean, I don't think that we would be where we are in the world today if religion didn't exist, especially in this country, especially in the U.S. Like my parents, it's so devastating to me. I haven't spoken to them since January and it all boils down to their beliefs and they are literally terrified. It's so sad to me. I think I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm past the anger. I'm just like devastated that beliefs could actually get in the way of just like loving your kid And I think I really have compassion for them because they are so, I'm going to say lost in the sauce at this point, that they hold their beliefs so deeply and they're so scared of what it looks like to step out of that box and kind of go against the grain that loving their own kid is something that terrifies them because of what that means for them or what that means for me. I mean, my mom and dad legitimately think I'm going to hell because I'm engaged to a woman. So it's just, it's so sad. And I know there's so many other people like grappling with that. And I just got to the point where I was like, I can't sit and wait around for someone to work through their own process and be like, burned by that. Like you can't sit around and be burned while someone is growing and working through their own process. And I was like, I need to step aside. And it's been really devastating. And I think I'm not alone in that story. Like there's so many kids out there with similar stories. And I think more and more these days where I do think we're entering a wave where people are questioning like their beliefs and like evangelical Christianity is not as prominent as it once was. Like not as many young kids are going to church or maybe holding belief systems in the same way that our parents did. And I do feel like that's kind of causing a rift in families these days. And it's wild to watch. It's wild to watch. I'm so sorry you're going through that. I'm also a club no contact parent for reasons unbeknownst to me, but do you count the months? I count the months. It's like one of those like having a yes. baby things where yes. they're not two <laughs> years old. They're they're 24 months. That's how it is with a no yes. contact parent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do count the months. Every month I'm like, oh, it's been six months. It's been seven months. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's something that I wanted to ask you about because I could have sworn that I saw or heard a post from you that you still had a relationship with them, but it Mm -hmm. was strained. Mm -hmm. How did it go from that to completely no contact? So it has been a journey with them. I knew from coming out in 2018, 
I knew at that moment that things would shift with them. And I was terrified to tell them. (laughs) I think that right there probably in a nutshell tells you about my parents. If any kid is terrified to come out to their parents, you have a good idea of what the parents are like. So I wrote them a letter back in 2018 because I really wanted them to just sit and digest it. And I knew I didn't think I could emotionally get through a phone call because I actually live in Scottsdale. They're very close. I think to where you live, like they're in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to do it over FaceTime. I'm going to write them a letter. Anyways, long story short, the first time we did talk, my mom is in tears on the phone with me. She had read the letter. The first thing she said was, please don't tell your younger brother or sister. I don't want them to find out. Are you posting this on social media? I don't want them to see it. I don't want the family to see it. It was just this whole just keeping up their, what's the word? They're always about how they, people perceive them from the outside. And so I think a big thing when I came out to my mom was me kind of ruining the family name or how people viewed us as a family. And I instantly, I think in that moment became the black sheep because they were the first thing out of their mouth was does anyone know? Do your younger siblings know? Have you posted this on social media? What about the Haley family name? And just from there, it was very strained. We actually visited them. Shauna, my fiance, has met my parents a few times, and they're always very, very polite. They're very polite to someone's face. They will always welcome someone into their home, but they are the people that behind your back, you get those comments. Or with me solo on the phone, there would be those comments. So I think over five years time, I kept giving them chance after chance. You know, I was like, okay, that was like my coming out to them. They get a pass. Like I kind of figured this is how they would handle it, but let's give them time because I thought for sure that as time went along, they would come around to the idea. And like, I'm sorry, but like you can't meet Shauna and not love her. She's literally like an earth angel. So I was like, for sure, they're going to have to love this human. Like, you can't not. But time kept passing. We got engaged. Same reaction. Actually, worse reaction. My mom told me Shauna was something that she would have to learn to live with. And I just kept getting my feelings hurt over and over and over again. And so I did get to the point where I've actually cut them off before. Because I was like, listen, I will always love you all. You're my parents. but like talking to you all and having this communication is like literally detrimental to my mental health and I need to step away. And so I have had no contact with them before, but it wasn't with the boundaries that I have now. And I was very like lenient with that no contact. And there was a little bit because of siblings and, you know, I'm the oldest of seven. So it's very hard to maintain strict boundaries when you're part of a family of nine. And so what led up to this current, I want to say the first time I've actually truly cut my parents off. And I think what led me to that moment was realizing that Shauna and I are our own family. And I know that that might sound weird to listeners to come to that realization. But when you come from a family of nine, living in an echo chamber, growing up in a bubble, oldest of seven, like you are taught that that is your like ride or die family. No other families outside of you exist. Like you are each other's best friends forever and ever. All you have is your biological family. Like that's it. Shauna has been so patient with me because it took me years to 
actually protect not only myself, but also her from my parents. She has tolerated so much homophobia from them. And I think I just kind of hit my wits end when back in December, we reached out to my parents and we were like, hey, can we fly my youngest sister, Summer, out here to visit us? And it basically came down to them not wanting her to spend time with us because of our relationship. And they said that one of them would have to fly out here with her to be a chaperone. And at this point, I'm just like, are you serious? Because she has stayed with so many of my other siblings, flown across the country to visit other siblings. And I'm like, I'm literally offering to pay for her to come visit us, stay with us. And they're like, we don't want her being around your relationship without us being there to answer questions and essentially treated Shauna and I like predators. And I think that was where I was like, no more. Like, this is killing my mental health. And it was devastating. But January was when I kind of made that final call with them. And I didn't try to explain why. They knew why. I told them, I was like, that is so uncalled for, but I didn't try to like go in depth and have a massive conversation. Because I think when you hit that point with people that are so ingrained in their own beliefs, like it's not necessary to explain something to them because they're not going to hear it. Almost just like talking to a brick wall. And I was like, I don't want to waste my energy kind of giving someone all my thoughts and pouring my heart out when I know they're not going to hear it. And I've been shown time and time again over the past few years that they are not willing to set aside their own feelings, be uncomfortable, and hear how they have impacted me and hurt me. They've just never once shown that at all. And so, yeah, we're seven months, seven months out. And I don't know what the future looks like. I think about it all the time. And I just posted the other day, I was like, if my parents reached out right now, I don't think I would invite them back in because I know personally, I haven't processed it enough to allow them back into my life. If and when I ever do allow them back into my life, I want to be coming from a place where I'm able to fully give them the benefit of the doubt and not overanalyze everything they say, every move they make. Like, I want to fully give them that chance if and when that comes around. And like, I know I am not there yet. (laughs) I'm still like processing so much over the last five years. And you've wholeheartedly given them so many chances over the years. Like you literally did your best. I I hope you can sleep soundly at night being like, I literally did everything I could. I do. (laughs) I do sleep very soundly. I feel like I've given it my all. (laughs) What do your other six siblings, what is your relationship like with them? You know, I have two siblings that I'm very, very close with. The others, it comes and goes in waves. It's so hard. This was never something I thought about growing up in a big family, but it's so wild being so close and all being homeschooled. And, you know, you share the same house and the same schoolroom every day, all doing your work together, all reciting Bible verses together. Like you have this really almost like weird fever dream of a childhood where just everything is enmeshed together. And as adults, I have grieved so much not having that closeness with them anymore. Because even though they're my siblings, we're all very different 
very individual humans that hold different beliefs. Some of them still believe what my parents do. Others are going through their own life experiences and journey. And we've all just kind of gone on our own path. And I think it's weird for me, especially as the oldest, because I always have this sense of like wanting to be there. And in a way, I was like a second mom to a lot of them growing up because there was seven of us. And as an oldest child in that environment, I was counted on a lot to be there as almost like a second mom to them. And so I hold such a great sense of like responsibility and almost like protectiveness over them that I've been working really hard to just like kind of let go of and let them live their lives and be okay with not being as close as we once were. And that has been terribly hard. I mean, a few of them I haven't spoken to in years. And the youngest few are living their own completely different lives than how I was raised. And that's been another kind of almost like a trigger for me watching my younger siblings, because the youngest is a 19-year age gap for me. She's being raised completely different than how I was raised. And a part of me is just like, wow, like I'm so happy (laughs) that she is being raised differently. But at the same time, I'm like grieve for my own child self, like watching my youngest sister get to do things differently. And also her not understanding I don't know if any of my siblings understand why I've made the decision I have with my parents. And I've been very clear with them, like, this decision doesn't affect my relationship with any of you. It has nothing to do with any of you. I never expect your relationship with our parents to change because of my own lived experiences and my choices that I have made with them. And I never, ever want that to come between any of us because at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with them. And they all have their own perception of their own childhood, their own experiences. And that is for them to sift through and unpack. And I'm never like wanting to project any of my own stuff onto them. And I think that's probably been my biggest takeaway as an oldest sibling in the last few years is like the best thing that I can do is keep them out of my own stuff that I'm going through with our parents and like literally just show up for them as a sibling. Yeah. Leave it to big sister to be the most mature, the most emotionally intelligent, (laughs) the most reassuring. Um, Can relate to that as well, but I'm sure it's tenfold, hundredfold for you with the amount of siblings that you have in the situation that you've been going through. Big sister resentment is like so real. Yes. I'm just going to call it what it is. Yes. (laughs) I want to know about healing from this, again, going to call it what it is, religious trauma. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know, what did Shauna teach you about love that you did not feel before in the religious community? Oh, my goodness. Oh, where to begin? I credit Shauna... For so much of my growth and giving me a safe space. And we come from two completely different socioeconomic backgrounds, belief systems. If (laughs) I don't know if you could put two more opposite people together. And she completely just opened my mind as far as she was the first person to approach me with concern in a genuine way that had 
nothing in it for her. And I think the first time she sat me down, this is when we were best friends because we were really close for like a year before we even started dating. And the first time she sat me down, I remember her telling me, I am terrified to lose you as a friend, but I feel like I need to tell you this because I am so concerned about you. And when I heard her say like, she was willing to do something that she thought would benefit me because she saw me in a really bad situation to her own detriment of like losing me as a friend because she was so scared to tell me this information. I was just like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. It just really blew me away. I'd never had a friend sit me down in that context before. And when you're around Shauna, it just kind of like exudes out of her. Like she is the most genuine, authentic person and you can feel that energy from her it just kind of radiates off of her. And so I immediately felt safe with her. And I remember, (laughs) I know a lot of this also had to do with my personal feelings for her, but I remember when I first met her and I was like unsure what I was feeling, I'd literally go around to other people that knew her and I would be like, so like, do you just kind of feel like electric around Shauna? Do you just feel like, you know, like, just kind of like a magnet of energy? And I was just saying, and now I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I was like so in love with her. But it's really cute. (laughs) You know, she also expanded my knowledge of just like the world and how I exist in it in general. I had never been taught about privilege until I met Shauna. And when I started learning about just her own experience of how she exists in this world as a masculine presenting lesbian, her short haircut immediately has people treating her differently than how they would treat me. And my eyes were just open to so many things. I mean, she taught me about so many parts of our system that I was never exposed to. Redlining, food deserts, so many things. And, you know, my parents were the people that the first time I could vote, they were like, don't have to worry about knowing anything. You just go in there, shade, all Republican you know, because we don't believe in abortion and we want to save the babies. That's basically what I was taught about the extent of politics and how we should view them. (laughs) And Shauna having a criminal justice background just kind of blew my mind. And we would sit and talk about the mission trips I used to go on to Kenya and Uganda, where I thought I was doing all these good things that the church and my parents had told me was like a good thing to do, to go to a more impoverished area and quote unquote, help, (laughs) help people. Meanwhile, not knowing about white saviorism, not knowing that a lot of these trips that I was taking and what I was doing was actually like so problematic and detrimental. And I think having a safe space and someone like Shauna to sit and like talk through all these things and not feel judged really just allowed me to like blossom because I think that was like my biggest hang up beforehand was when I had these conversations and mostly they were with people on Instagram because I posted all of my trips to Uganda and Kenya and I was posting pictures and I get how awful that looked now. I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. But people were also very upset and they were like, I got absolutely just slaughtered online and rightfully so. But I don't think I was in the mindset at that time to hear it because I thought I was doing so many good things 
and people were just so angry with me. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, this is the opposite of what I've been told growing up. I thought I'm like doing good things, being a good human. And here I am again. It's this whole concept of being thrown out into the real world. And you're just so unprepared and you're so bewildered. And you're like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I being told all of these things? Why am I being told that I'm hurting people and being problematic when this is what I've been told my entire life is like good and true. And I do think Shauna really was like the first person that gave me kind of that safe, open space to ask questions and be a little bit angry and frustrated and like, well, what the heck have I been doing with my whole life then? And like, kind of talk me through all of that. It's just been so healing. She's been such a huge part of my healing journey alongside seeing therapists and going through EMDR. It's been a lot. <laughs> what is EMDR for those who don't know as like a, a tool? Because I've heard so much great things about it and I'm, I'm curious to know more too. So it is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. And it's a mouthful. So that's why I just always say EMDR. But oh my goodness. It is a bilateral stimulation therapy technique that helps you kind of process old trauma and not even trauma that you remember. It's trauma more that like your body can just be holding and you aren't even aware of it. And the bilateral stimulation can be a tap from your therapist with a little wand on like the tops of your thighs, just above your knees. It can be your eyes tracking a light. It can be little buzzers in either hand that go like right to left. And it's so wild because I was so nervous to do it. And so many people think you have to like really prepare for it and like be good at it. It's almost like, you know, when you talk about meditating, like there's no such thing as being good at meditating. Like you just exist and show up and do it. So it's like the same thing for EMDR. You literally just show up as you are. And all you have to worry about is simply existing and either tracking the light with your eyes or feeling those taps or feeling those buzzes. And scientifically, for some reasons, unbeknownst to me, um, <laughs> It clears out trauma, like physically, that you are storing in your body. And you go through little like sessions, like you'll track the light or whatever for 45 seconds. And then your therapist will be like, Did this bring up anything for you? And sometimes it's a memory. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's like physically, like my left shoulder started twitching. And it's like the most bizarre thing. Because mm -hmm. you're like, How is this happening? But I did it for sexual trauma, religious trauma. And it, it really did. Like I was so skeptical at first because I was like, I don't understand how, like, how is this going to work? I'm just sitting here. And I remember the first session I did it the week after my entire face broke out. Like I never have mm -hmm. before. And it was like, my body was just purging so many mm -hmm. years of all this built up stuff that I wasn't even aware of. And it was so powerful and healing. Like I would wow, I would highly, highly recommend. I don't think I've ever heard anybody else recommending any type of therapy as much as I've heard people recommending EMDR yes. and the impact that it's had on them. Yes. That's why I had to ask. I feel like there's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested in that. And I'm just so glad that you have Shauna and Shauna has you. Yes. And so excited for you and your life, the life you're building together. Thank you. Congratulations on being engaged. Do you Thank know when the you. wedding is going to be? Uh, girl, no. <laughs> 
No. We have been engaged. Enjoy it. No, yes. I'm like, you know, we've been engaged for three years. Well, I proposed to her three years ago, and then she proposed to me about a little over a year ago. And we have just been taking our time. I'm like, we're so excited to get married, but I feel like it's just going to happen when it happens. And we're just like lifing right now. Just like yes. doing all the things. Like we're just we're just existing and being happy, being engaged and taking our time. And we're really not in any rush. And for me, that is so it's just coming from previously being married and going through a divorce. And especially under the constraints that it was, where like I was supposed to get married and there's like this timeline for everything. It's so healing to be in a relationship and still be engaged and all this stuff, but like there's no timeline. It's like, you know, yeah. I'm just enjoying the ride. And I think enjoying the ride is part of my healing process because there's no timeline to get anywhere. Oh, no timeline, just vibes. Yes. I would love to <laughs> end it here because that's such a such a great thing to take away for anybody on a healing journey that once you can release the the timeline, the arbitrary expectations, that's when you know that you're really like making progress toward healing your heart and soul. Yes. One last thing before we farewell, my self-lovers. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. You can do this by searching for the show, Mary's Cup of Tea. Scroll all the way down on Apple Podcasts and you'll see stars where you can click one of the stars and leave a few kind words. It just means so much to me because I'm so behind the scenes when I'm podcasting, so I don't really get to see the impact of the show unless you leave a review. And on Spotify, there's just a button that says rate the show and it'll let you put however many stars you want. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. Thank you so much for supporting the show and helping me spread the gift of self-love. I love you all so much and I will talk to you in next week's episode.